Welcome to Foss and Crafts, a podcast about free software, free culture, and making things together. With my co-host Morgan and my co-host Chris. Today we're talking about role-playing games and narrative role-playing games. That seems pretty nerdy. Uh, how does that relate to the theme of this show that we just said? <laughs> So the vision of RPGs people probably have in their heads is Dungeons and Dragons, uh, because that is the best known RPG on the commercial market. Or maybe you've heard of Dark Dungeons, which is the response against Dungeons and Dragons, which is a chick track uh, warning against the evils of RPGs. But these two things combined uh, make up most of the times that RPGs are mentioned in any TV show. It's usually D&D, um, it's usually by very nerdy characters, and it's often portrayed in a negative way. Yeah, so first of all, we think Dungeons & Dragons is pretty great. We're not hating on Dungeons & Dragons, but we also think it's not for everybody. It is very combat-oriented, um, which makes sense because it has its roots in wargaming. Also, it's a very rules-heavy game, and it has... A bit of number crunching. Enough at least where it can sometimes pause the flow of the story. But on the other end of the spectrum, there's much more story-oriented systems. Uh, and I think we the phrase we'd use there is collaborative storytelling with dice. That's what we think of when we think of narrative RPGs. So what would be the difference between this and just straight-up make-believe? So when you were on the playground, you probably knew that kid says, I fire at you with my gun, and the other kid says, Yeah, well, my skin's made out of invincible bullet, blah, blah, blah. And then they're like, No, that's not what happens. And, and there's kind of no real uh, sense of structure to be able to negotiate what is and isn't happening in the story. So we have some experience in our household of using narrative RPGs both for entertainment, but also some practical uses too. Such as? Um, such as when I was taking a entry-level German class and I had an assignment where I had a vocabulary list of various fairy tale vocabulary in German and I was supposed to write a story using that vocabulary. And uh, I was having trouble coming up with something other than just, you know, writing sentences with the given vocabulary. So we took that list and we took some dice and Chris and I together ran a game. Yep. We also have used such tools. We have a friend who's a fantasy novelist. Uh, and at one point she wanted to flesh out some of the world that she kind of built out. And we, you know, sat down with our dice and kind of the structures that um, come with these narrative RPG systems and help figure out um, what part of that world could be. So useful as a, as a general writing tool. Yeah, so in that context, it seems like a good opportunity for more making things together. Uh, and, and on top of that, it's also nice that um, there's a number of free culture licensed RPG systems out there. So let's talk about some of these game systems. So we kind of mentioned it already. There is Dungeons and & Dragons and its uh, offshoot Pathfinder, um, and these do have story, even though, as we've said, they're mostly about combat. So they're not, it's not as if they're not narrative RPGs. It's just that, you know, they kind of move more on the combat crunchy side of things. But there is a free culture history here. 
they're um, released under the open gaming license. And in fact, on the, the previous podcast I was on, Libre Lounge, there was even a, a whole episode about what ended up happening with Dungeons & Dragons 3.5 being under the open gaming license and then uh, it being continued under Pathfinder and all the various goofy things that uh, happened after that. Um, goofy and positive. So we're not going to get too far into that. But D&D is where almost all of this started, and it does set up some of the key elements of role-playing games that continue to follow it in perpetuity. Yep, so there's usually some kind of game slash dungeon master. Uh, I mean, I guess if we're having many projects uh, kind of uh, deprecate get master maybe we could use some sort of other term like story weaver but you know game master is sometimes shortened to gm we'll probably just use that throughout the rest of this episode so there's also players who are navigating the story and again DD has a lot of emphasis on combat but it's also about what happens to your character right and there's also dice and character sheets and stuff and uh you probably see people sitting behind monster manuals and all sorts of stuff and it's again it has narrative components, but it's very crunchy, and it's kind of hard to use Dungeons and Dragons to run any kind of game or story that's not Dungeons and Dragons. So another system that we really like is Fate, which is definitely more of a narrative system. It does support combat and conflict, but it's more oriented around storytelling and plot. And it really can work with any setting or story type, so non-fantasy especially, such as noir, science fiction, contemporary drama, historical intrigue, really whatever you're in the mood for. Yeah, and uh, um, it's also nice that it's also free culture. So it's under CC BY, also known as Creative Commons Attribution License. Uh, And it's also dual licensed under the Open Gaming License, but really effectively it's CC BY. What's nice is that in Fate, the mechanics are all storytelling oriented. Story components even become power-ups for your character, etc. So it's kind of in-between crunch-wise, but let's save talking about Fate in detail for a future episode. So for the rest of this episode, we're primarily going to focus on the Freeform Universal system. Which in addition to being even more narrative-oriented than Fate, is also free culture licensed under CC BY. This system is very fast, easy to run, and requires no special equipment. Just a few six-sided dice, which nearly everyone has. Uh, You'll also need some pencils and paper. And you'll need some sort of pennies or poker chips or glass beads or something to represent uh, foo points, which we will explain later. Right. So I think Freeform Universal is actually simple enough that we can pretty much give all the rules here. So let's try doing it. Yeah, so it's got your typical role-playing game roles, such as the GM or Story Weaver. So, for example, uh, if I was the GM running some sort of story that, instead of being about Ghostbusters, the players are all ghost therapists. In general, what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be giving the direction of the story, kind of run the various non-player characters that show up in it, and manage the conflict that they're working through. So you've also got players, and to create your character, you just grab an index card, a sheet of paper, and you start describing your character. Yeah, and your character has different descriptors, which basically are short narrative descriptions of your character, the stuff they have, and etc. And each one of these things ends up kind of mechanically end up helping you to be able to do things, or sometimes occasionally indicating ways in which things will be more difficult for your character. So, for an example, in that uh, ghost therapy session that Chris ran, I played a character named 
Callie Iyer, and her backstory is, she was a therapist for humans, but then her mother died and became a ghost. After helping her mother cross over, she devoted herself to the cause. And then her descriptors are ethereal empathy, too involved, true believer, and cool under pressure. Now, this character is ported over from Fate instead of Freeform Universal, so if I were writing this character for Freeform Universal specifically, I'd probably add another descriptor like Ghost Therapist that's a little bit more to the point. Often, players can just describe what they want to do in the game, and if it's not really a challenge, then they just do it. Yeah, but sometimes there is kind of a question. So if things are more of a challenge, it's really like, can the player actually do that? So Freeform Universal uses a system where you can ask a question and it either goes really well or really badly or somewhere in between. So a standard die roll would look like six, yes, and... Which means, yes, you got what you want, and something even more interesting and useful happens that advances the story. A five would be yes. Which just means it happens. A four is yes, but... Which means it happens, but some kind of complication gets added to the story. A three is no, but... Which means you don't get what you want, but some other interesting, useful thing happens in your favor. A two is no. Yeah, you don't get what you want. A one is no, and. No, you don't get what you want, and other bad things happen as well. Except sometimes things are a little bit more complicated than just a straight up die roll, right? So if things are basically even odds, then you just rolled one die and take its result. But if things are more to your advantage, then what happens is you roll more die and take the best one. And if you're at a disadvantage, you roll multiple die and take the worst one. And the main way that we figure this out is based off of the kind of the base difficulty of the thing that's happening. Like, you know, oh, I want to jump over this wall. Well, how high is that wall? Does it have barbed wire on it? That would kind of set the base difficulty. And then what descriptors are kind of for and against your character, basically. And then you'd use that to figure out how easy or hard it is for your character. So this mechanic is what prevents that kid on the playground thing where one person just declares that something incredible is happening. And if you declare that, then the GM could say, sure, kid, you're wearing bulletproof skin, but you're going to have to roll like five die and take the worst because that's really unlikely to happen. Plus, we could ask, is bulletproof skin on your character sheet? (laughs) So I think it would be fun if we walk through an example that basically uses a setting that we mentioned with the kind of the ghost therapy thing. So why don't we just jump right into it? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, so I'm going to I'm going to assume my GM role and I'm going to say, "So, Kelly, and here I'm referring to Morgan's character Kelly, you hear the ghost making noise behind the door of this room. What do you want to do?" "Well, I want to open the door." So you grab onto the handle, you try turning it, and the door disappears and reappears down the hallway. Okay, I try again. So it just shuffles somewhere else in the hallway. So it seems like the ghost really doesn't want you in there. So I think I'm going to try and connect emotionally to the ghost. I'm looking at some photographs on the wall here. Do I see her family in some of them? Yeah, there's various family photos with her and what looks like it's her mother, including them being at a picnic, uh, maybe Christmas morning. It looks like that may be her in a cap and gown at her middle school graduation. 
Okay, so I'd like to try to talk to the ghost about what I see in these photos. Is this your mother? Oh, you look so much like her. Okay, so the ghost is pretty upset, right? So normally you'd have to roll three die and take the worst one here based off of how upset the ghost is by this point. But I'm looking at your character sheet, and since you've got ethereal empathy and cool under pressure as descriptors, I think that actually um, those cancel out, and so you just have to roll one die, and we'll just take that result as it is. So... But at this point, Morgan would roll her die, right? Mm-hmm. And we'd find out whatever the outcome is. So why don't we just walk through each one of the sides of the die that might show up here? I got a six. So that's yes and. Not only does the door open, but you see the ghost on the other side of it staring wistfully out the window. I got a five. Yes. So the door opens. I got a four. Yes, but... The door opens, but it opens in what appears to be a manifestation of some traumatic memory of the ghost. I got a three. No, but... So the door doesn't open, but you see the ghost enter into one of the photographs and sits down staring at her mother. I got a two. So that's just no. Sorry, the door doesn't open, it just keeps moving around in the hallway. I think you're gonna have to try something else. Uh Uh-oh, I got a one. That's no and. So not only does the door not open, the ghost shouts, How dare you talk about my mother? These are my memories! The photographs fly off the wall and start swirling angrily around you. So also like Fate, you have foo points. It's spelled F-U, but generally pronounced foo. But I mean, let's face it, sometimes they are F-U points, especially if you have a really annoying GM. Hey, like, I was just looking at the die roll. It's not my fault that the paintings went off the wall and started swirling around the character. So players usually start out with about three of these. They can use them to either increase a die roll by one point or to re-roll after a bad roll. Or sometimes you can pay the GM one of these to be able to do something cool or affect the story in some way that you might not normally be able to do. In one system that we ran, we actually used these um, as basically something that enabled you to do magic, for instance. (laughs) But another example might be where you have to kind of negotiate with the GM for some story detail that you might imagine being in there, but wasn't really explicitly said. So, for example, you know, in this same game world, Morgan might say something like, So in the picture from Christmas morning, can I see where the door is supposed to be? Hmm, it's a GM. That wasn't something I was envisioning. But you know, for a foo point, I might be willing to accommodate that story detail. So also like in Fate, you can get more of these by doing something cool or risky. Especially, your GM might say, hey, I'll give you a foo point if you do this kind of thing. So in this example, I would say, "Mm, I'm getting the sense that the ghost is getting too upset, so I think I should maybe back off here. And me as GM, I'm thinking, but this is such a great opportunity for interesting things, but I know that Morgan wants to be a cautious player here. So I say, you know, maybe you should back off here, but I know from looking at your character sheet that one of your descriptors is too involved. So... I'll actually give you a foo point if you played a character and just keep pushing through because you really, really want to get through to this girl. Yeah, you can do it. So at this point, I know something not great is about to happen, but I probably want to take that foo point because those come in really handy, say, at the end of the game when you've got your boss battle 
And it's the difference between a one roll where you get attacked and killed by a ghost and re-rolling and having the possibility of winning the game. So at this point, you might be wondering, but how does damage work, right? Most of this point, we've kind of talked about um, doing stuff that are really narrative consequences in some kind of way. Um, And you might be thinking, yeah, but maybe I've seen games like uh, Dungeons and Dragons and they have hit points and stuff like that. So Freeform Universal doesn't have anything like that out of the box, though there are various hacks that you can add that. In general, what happens is that there are various consequences which are called conditions in the system. So for example, you know, maybe your arm gets broken, right? And if your arm gets broken, then in that case, it's going to make a whole lot of other things more difficult that you might want to pull off. Or you get hit in the head with an angry picture frame and you get a cut on your face. And that's pretty much it. You know enough to run a Freeform Universal game at this point. So we'll note that the rules for this are online and available to purchase, but it's pay what you want. So you can see our show notes for the link, because we like to support people who make nice free culture things like this, even if it's not legally required to pay them. So moving back to narrative RPGs in general, sometimes you might want to use a story randomizer, which isn't specific to any particular game system, but it's just something to help you move the plot along if you need a bit of help. So, for example, we like to use Rory's story dice, which are dice with uh, really simple pictographs on them that relate to various themes, and that can help you figure out your next plot point. Yeah, sometimes I use them even before we end up starting up a session just to throw some on the table. And I'm like, boy, people are coming over in three hours. I got to come up with some sort of story. And I just look at them and kind of read the tea leaves. But, you know, we also have those cards with kind of like random fantasy monsters on stuff like that. I mean, that's kind of really only applicable for when you're doing that kind of fantasy game. But sometimes it's nice to have things like that around in case you are doing something like a dungeon crawl. Or even if you just really want an interesting character to show up in your story. So there's also some websites that you can use to randomly come up with kind of seed ideas as well. Yeah, we'll link to one of those in the show notes. Uh, one one well-known one is called Dungeon, which is uh, kind of fun. And I mean, I kind of think that with all of these, they're just tools really to be able to kind of get you started and moving along when you feel like you're stuck before or during a game, really. And those yeah. are nice to have on hand. Yeah, they're very useful. So... Now that we're talking about, we've moved away from kind of the systems in general, and we're talking about kind of advice for how to build and run one of these games, I think we need to give the most important advice for game masters or storytellers or story weavers or whatever you want to call them, which is you need to make sure that everybody has a good time. So you want to put everybody on this train, send them in one direction. If your players start deviating from that plot that you wrote up in detail before they showed up, you got to just pick them up and drop them right back where you intended them to go, right? This is this is the good, the greatest form of collaborative storytelling there is, right? Well, you remember earlier when I was talking about annoying GMs? Hey. Um, so this is not a great idea. The most important thing about running a game is how do you have a game that you can plan for, but also give your players agency? Because most players do not want to be stuck on those rails. They want to explore and add their own creativity to the narrative. Right. 
So in, in reality, this is stuff that we've worked through before and have, the, the approach that what we usually end up finding works well is write down the general setting and kind of idea for you have for the story, write down interesting story elements and characters, but most importantly, write down what the opposing force wants. What do the various non-player characters want? And therefore, you don't really have to have the outcome, you can just have kind of the motivation. So that gives the players a lot of room to do completely unexpected things to solve the adventure that the GM probably didn't even think of. Yep. So, I mean, I think at this point, we kind of maybe it would be good to just kind of nerd out about a little bit from a high level about some of the kinds of games we've done. Um, maybe not go too far into the details, but just give kind of the listeners a sense of what kind of things you can do. So the first RPG that we ever did um, was uh, called Joey Jacks, and it was kind of a noir detective uh, setting. Yeah, that was actually the first RPG I had ever run, and uh, one of our friends recommended to us that we use kind of the base of a system called World of Darkness, and we really had no idea what we were doing. But it still worked out pretty well, even though that that system was basically designed for horror. But I guess that's where the supernatural part worked in pretty well. Yeah, the system was designed for horror, but the players were not as interested in horror as the system would imply. So we kind of deviated a bit. Yeah, and I think deviation is is open and welcome in, in pretty much all of these things. Yeah. So one of the longest running games that we did was in kind of a classic fantasy type universe and uh it started off with a dungeons and dragons module which unbeknownst to me was the least liked dungeons and dragons module of all time but i just kind of messed with it and the players ended up enjoying it but i did say to the players you know this is just a one-off game a bunch of you have never played an rpg before so uh, just make kind of your standard fantasy characters, and don't worry, we're going to just throw them away after this session. And uh, that's and what it did not work out that way. So um, my character in this game is basically what I would want my life to be if I lived in a universe where magic was real. Um, yeah, you're basically a professor of magical history. Yes, which in real life magical history was one of the topics of my preliminary exams uh, in the Coptic world. So if if I could study magic, I probably would. Yeah. So anyway, kind of standard fantasy universe, but I mean, that was still fun to explore. And we even managed to use Fate, a system not really designed for dungeon crawling and kind of added some house rules and it worked pretty well. Yeah, and eventually we decided that uh, we wanted a kind of a home base for our adventuring characters so we designed our own city and environment uh, for our characters to work within yeah and eventually we even uh, started a rotating gm thing although that was kind of difficult for me initially yeah um so in a completely different setting i've done a couple of games within a universe that's basically um regency england plus some magic so it was inspired largely by um mary robinette cowell's glamorous histories series and these games are interesting because they don't have any uh like mortal danger or combat to them 
um, that's almost entirely social danger. So, for example, one of my characters, or one of my players, almost left the ballroom with the shady guy who was a rake and was... I thought I had made it way too obvious that he was just, well, up to no good. And one of my characters almost left the ballroom and got com- and almost got compromised until another character basically just, like, left the ballroom with them to chaperone. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, don't just have to do combat-oriented D&D type things. Can definitely branch into some other stuff. Uh, and, you know, kind of along those lines, um, at one point, my brother Steve and I ended up making a... GM-less game that was kind of an empire conflict type system. It ended up being kind of very similar to a Game of Thrones type thing where you're kind of looking at the kingdoms kind of onto this big map we drew out and kind of the different interactions that ended up happening from kind of turn to turn as different parties have different interests playing out on the map. And that was a lot of fun and really kind of felt like it thematically worked that way. So another campaign we did was in the uh, Secret of Cats world, which was basically cats plus magic. Yeah, it's kind of inspired by kind of stories like Watership Down and other things like that. Basically, the idea is that cats, unbeknownst to humans, are actually protecting the humans and etc. But we actually did not come up with that scenario. That was one of the storybooks that Evil Hat just publishes, who are the people who make Fate. Um, But while Fate core and fate accelerated the kind of core rule sets of fate are under a free culture license that storybook is not right yeah so it's one of the kind of shortcomings maybe of narrative rpgs and free culture is that while the structure is in these free culture rule books all of the plot and world building and stuff like that a lot of those supplements are not yeah they're very frequently proprietary it's a it's an area that could be expanded on though we Mm -hmm. think yeah so we'd really like to see more free culture story settings if possible yep so how do we think the narrative rpgs contribute to the commons so what kind of function could they have So first of all, I think that sitting around and telling stories as entertainment is a kind of function and is valuable, right? Um, But beyond that, I mean, there's other things such as... Well, I mean, collaborative storytelling. Sometimes it's fun to just make a story with your friends. Right. There's been an interesting move to try to use role-playing games in therapy. There's a really interesting episode of Role-Playing Public Radio about that to another podcast. I'll I'll link to it in the show notes. I think it's also got some really interesting potential applications in classrooms. So for example, maybe in elementary or grade school classrooms, you could do a narrative RPG with younger students as maybe kind of like an early first kind of group assignment where they have to work together in order to meet a goal, but it's got lower stakes than a book report or a group presentation or something like that that you would get in later grades in school. 
Yeah, so also we think this might be an interesting way to be able to bootstrap larger free culture fiction, maybe even by taking one of those collaborative storytelling sessions and just kind of recording it and polishing it after the fact. Um, So speaking of which, um, we potentially have a plan for future episodes where we actually do run and record some games, uh, depending on how much people like this episode and whether or not there's interest for that. So yeah, we would love your feedback on whether or not you enjoyed this episode and whether or not that kind of thing sounds interesting to you. And, you know, this, I mean, this whole show in a certain sense kind of is an experiment. And by that, I mean the podcast in general. So we're figuring things out. I mean, this is only technically episode one. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed it. And that is all for this week. Thank you. Yeah. Take care, everybody. See you next time. Foss and Crafts is released under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License. It's hosted by Morgan Lemmerweber and Christopher Lemmerweber. The intro music is composed by Christopher Lemmerweber, meaning myself, in Milky Tracker and is released under the same license as the show. The outro music is Enchanted Tiki 86, composed by Alex Smith of The Cynic Project and is waved into the public domain under CC0 1.0. See cynicmusic.com for more information. You can get in contact with us on the Fediverse, Foss and Crafts at octodon.social, on Twitter as at Foss and Crafts, or you can email us, podcast at fossandcrafts.org. We also have a chat room. Join our community, hash Foss and Crafts, on irc.freenode.net. If you'd like to support the show, you can donate at patreon.com forward slash C-W-E-B-B-E-R. That's it for this week. Until next time, stay free. And stay crafty. that's pretty much it you know enough to run an fu game at this point i should not say FU game. <laughs> <laughs> all right try it again